So I'm a fan of comfort food. Anybody else? Yeah, everybody with your hand up. I'll see you at the ice cream social tonight, right? <laughs> uh, it's so great to see so many people here in this room. I know there's a lot of folks that are watching as well. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Stephanie Sherrod. I said I'd tell her hi. She was here at the family meeting, but she had to take her son to work. Uh, so I know a lot of people uh, are not able to be here physically, but you're here spiritually, and we do appreciate your presence. So I want to do a quick comfort food quiz. Uh, if you know anything about me, you know I really like food, and I like Memphis food. So I want to put up a few pictures and just see if you guys pass the Jim Hinkle comfort food test. Okay, here we go. Number one. Ah, okay, good job. That was easy, right? Gibson's Donuts. How many of you have been to Gibson's Donuts? Yes? Okay. Those of you without your hand up, I pray for you. <laughs> I, I really do. You, you know that void you've, you've been feeling in your life? <laughs> you can find it on Mendenhall, okay? Gibson's Donuts. All right. Secondly, secondly, uh, how many of you recognize this dish? A Memphis original. Yeah. What is it? Barbecue nachos from Central Barbecue. There's a lot of great barbecue nachos in this city, uh, but these are my favorite. I love Central Barbecue. I love their nachos. I do have to get a half order, and I do have to get a nap after. Like both of those are not prerequisites, but they're post-requisites for down in the barbecue nachos. All right, third. This one's getting a little more uh, genre-specific here. Obviously, this is a piece of cheesecake, but it's not just a piece of cheesecake. It, it is from Cheesecake Corner, which is not the Cheesecake Factory. Thank you. People are religious about this stuff. <laughs> so Cheesecake Corner, RIP, uh, Kevin, he's kind of affectionately known as the Cheesecake Nazi, if you're a Seinfeld fan. But he's got a gift. And down on G.E. Patterson downtown for years, he has served up this incredible cheesecake that's so good, you don't even care how nasty the place is. <laughs> but he just moved. He just moved. He opened a waffle place across from the Tennessee Brewery building a couple years ago called Fannie Lou's. And you got to go there now to get his cheesecake. So a little insider tip. But if you, I don't even really like cheesecake, but this changed my life. This changed my life. When I moved to Memphis, Candace Goff was the first one that said, you need to go to Cheesecake Corner. I said, ooh, we have a Cheesecake Factory? She said, no. So anyway, Cheesecake Corner is the move. And then last but not least, anybody recognize this? I heard it. Oh, yay! <laughs> so this is a raspberry almond scone, and it is the, the ultimate in comfort with a cup of coffee. It's served at Bell Tower, uh, a local coffee house by the University of Memphis. It was opened uh, by some guys from here, Christopher Galbraith and Micah Dempsey. And my wife, not only is she a nurse, but she's a baker, and <clears throat> she makes these ra raspberry almond scones, and they are incredible. And they're about to open another location at Shelby Farms, so you might be able to get one of these things, uh, one of these scones out there. But comfort food is called comfort food for a reason, right? If you go to the next slide, there's five reasons, according to psychology today, that people crave comfort food. 
And so number one, it makes you feel good because comfort food, it activates your brain reward system. Number two, it's kind of self-medicating, right? It kind of like whatever pain you're feeling, it numbs it at least momentarily. Third, uh, there's a need to belong. And sometimes food uh, is kind of the, the response we bring sometimes to loneliness or sometimes it reminds us of a place to belong, or it brings us together. Another thing, there can be a nostalgia to our food. Um, I got to the opportunity to be in Nebraska, where I grew up a couple of weeks ago, and there's a fast food restaurant in Nebraska. I don't know if it's in any other state. It should be in every state because it's so delicious, but it's called Runza. Now, I don't know if a Runza sounds good to you. It brought up something else in my wife's mind when I first told her that I was going to (laughs) eat a runza. Some of you are getting that. Some of you will have to be told by somebody else after what I'm referring to. But it's this pocket of bread with beef and onions and cabbage. Mm. But it's delicious. And so (laughs) when I went through, I got a cheese runza when I was coming back from uh, picking up Caleb up in Denver a couple weeks ago. And I went through and I had the fast food meal of my childhood. It was very comforting. I don't know if I would like it if I didn't have that nostalgia for a runza, but we all have those special foods that kind of take us back to a place. And then finally, uh, there are some special occasions I know there is a certain dinner roll that takes me back to my grandmother's table. Uh, There is a buttermilk biscuit, homemade blackberry preserves. If I ever get that, it takes me back to my other grandmother's table. And so all of these things, there's, there's this emotional response, right? And it's not just emotional, but there's a physiological response. There's actually kind of a, a mental emotional response to comfort food. And that's why we love it so much. That's why we call it comfort food. And this morning, Carol, uh, she shared Paul's words about what real comfort is and where it really comes from. So my question for all of us this morning is simply this. Where do you go for comfort? Where do you find comfort? That's the question of the day. In fact, just look at the person next to you and say, where do you find comfort? And you don't want to leave the person out on the other side of you. So go ahead and ask them, where do you find comfort? But it's rhetorical. You don't have to answer it (laughs) unless you want to. But where do you find comfort? Uh, this, This photo was taken last fall. I had the opportunity to go to ancient Corinth. And I was there with Dino and my son, Josh. And it was an incredible experience to be, I had not been over in any of the the Bible lands. And so to be in Corinth for a few hours was really special. And I'm right there uh, on the the road that ran through the Agora, the main marketplace. And Josh has talked to you about this series that we're in, walking through 2 Corinthians. And so he's talked a lot about Corinth, but there were a lot of places to find comfort in Corinth. It It was a bustling city. There was kind of like their version of the Panama Canal. It's called the Corinthian Isthmus. And it was a huge source of ancient commerce. And so there was lots of, there was lots of big business. There was lots of wealth. There was lots of affluence in Corinth. That was a place people could find uh, comfort. There was high culture. There was a lot of education. There was a lot of Greek philosophy. So that was a place people could find culture. There was a lot of religion. 
there were up to 12 different temples in the city of Corinth. And there was one specifically dedicated to Aphrodite. And they were famous for their temple prostitution. And so there was this religious, kind of hedonistic pleasure experience. That was a place people went and they found comfort. And there were all kinds of vices that were available for purchase. As I stood in the middle of that marketplace, I could just imagine it's just like being in the middle of a shopping mall where you can literally go and buy anything your heart desires. And then I started thinking about what do we today, where do we find our comfort? And it's really not that different, is it? We kind of find comfort in our wealth. We find comfort in our culture. We find comfort in religion. We find comfort in vices. And then I started thinking about me, where do I find comfort? And I started thinking, I find comfort if when my county and city tax bill comes or an appraisal value comes up, if my assets are increasing in value, I find some comfort in that. And I'm not saying that's wrong, but that's not really the real source of comfort. I started thinking about the culture and where people find cultural comfort. And I don't know if I'm the only one in here, but sometimes my mood is impacted by how the Grizzlies played the night before. Can I get a witness? Isn't that ridiculous? <laughs> but that's, that's a cultural spectacle that we have here in our city that sometimes we find comfort in. I also, uh, when I think about finding comf- comfort in religion, initially that sounds okay, but sometimes we can make that an idol of itself. I don't know if, if you do this, but uh, I, I get our attendance every week. And I say, I don't judge our success by numbers, but when we have more people than less people, it makes me feel a little more comforted. And then I think about vices, and I've already shared my vices, Cheesecake Corner, Bell Tower, Central Barbecue, and Gibson's Donut, bless their heart. That is, those, those are all vices that they're places that we seek comfort. And if there's anything that comes across in 2 Corinthians 1, if you go to the next slide, it's this idea of comfort. Comfort, 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 comfort. Nine times this word is used in the first 11 verses. And Paul, this idea of comfort is something, it's a word paraklesis in Greek, and it means comfort or encouragement or even consolation. And so, obviously, there was a need for some comfort. And there was not just a need for individual comfort on a micro level, although you can get that, right? If you're reading this letter from Paul, there's some very personal, intimate stuff that Paul is sharing with the Corinthians. He's in it with them, emotionally, intimately, relationally. But he's also using this word, paraclesis, paraclesis, that, that can be used for consolation. If you remember in Luke 2, Jews, they're waiting for the consolation of Israel. In the Old Testament, the consolation of Israel is what's coming up. It's what they're anticipating. It's what they're waiting for. So yeah, there's this kind of micro comfort or consolation, but God's also up to way more than any of us can truly actually imagine. Amen? 
God is up to something where he's not just working on my heart or on Sharice's heart or on Megan's heart or on Noah's heart, but God is doing something systematically. He's doing something to our civilization and to our world. And if you watch news or you listen to news, it's bad, 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 right? But they're not speaking to us from the perspective of this sovereign God that, that impacts the macro with consolation and comfort and encouragement. But paraclete is also the name that is used to describe the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the counselor. And so on a very small level, God shows up and becomes a part of comforting us as individuals. And if you look at a few of these verses, verse 4, God comforts us. And why? He comforts us so that we can pass on that comfort to others. I think that's one of the most unique things about Christianity in general. Whatever God does in us and through us, it's never just for us, right? So we're here this morning in this beautiful building. We've got air conditioning. We've got lights. You've got a great preacher, but it's not, it's not just so you can feel good for an hour and 15 minutes, or maybe an hour and 23 minutes this morning. It is, it is so that your heart and my heart, it's our hearts can be transformed so that we can be agents of light and salt to a world that is in darkness and wish they had something good to eat, right? So God comforts us so that we can comfort others. And there's a designation I heard from a counselor a few years ago that was, was very interesting. I think it's appropriate here. She was talking about how self-care is such a part of holistic thinking. I'm a huge, huge proponent of self-care. So hear that. I think what the sabbatical policy here for ministers is, what Anna is getting ready to embark on, that is a really important piece of self-care. And those of you who do not or have not cared for yourselves in a way that makes your life sustainable, you personally know how important self-care is or conversely, how devastating not caring for yourself is, right? We've got a lot of people that care for others, but aren't that good at caring for ourselves in this room. And so I'm a huge fan of self-care, but sometimes what we approach as self-care is actually self-soothe or self-soothing, kind of like the comfort food. If I go eat Gibson's donuts, I do feel soothed. I do feel good for a moment. If I eat two Gibson's donuts, I don't feel good. If I eat three, I feel really bad. And sometimes what we call self-care, I think is really more self-soothing. So, so maybe self-care is relaxing and watching a show on TV. Maybe that's self-care for a little bit. Maybe self-soothing is watching four and a half hours of a show and getting through the entire season of whatever it is you're trying to watch. That's, I, I, because I think the difference between self-soothe and self-care, it's kind of like the oxygen max, mask in an airplane. It drops down, cover yourself so that you can help others, right? So when we're in a self-care mode, when we're doing things, when we're receiving comfort, we also then are passing on that comfort to others so that we have something to give. Self-soothing is more about making me feel good in this moment and it doesn't go any farther. Another thing I think is really important for this passage is that we, the, the father of comfort 
that's great that God is the father of comfort, but it doesn't stop us from sufferings. And so all throughout this passage, there's this dual tension between comfort and sufferings, sufferings and comfort. They both exist. They're both around. They're both part of our reality. And in verse 6, this comfort that comes from God, it produces something. It's effective. It matters. There's, there's this patient endurance that happens. So when you do suffer, when you do go through a trial, that comfort that God has given you, you can withstand it. You can, you can sustain it. You can, you can keep hope alive, which is uh, the, the last part of this uh, three through seven segment. Verse seven, Paul says, we remain hopeful. And maybe at the end of the day, that, that's a mission statement. Maybe that's a success statement. Whether you're 15 years old or you're 95 years old, maybe at the end of the day when you put your head on a pillow and you can say, I'm hopeful God won that day. Because you felt the comfort of God even though the suffering still abound. The last few verses of this, starting in verse 8. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. So, to fast forward a little bit, what were those problems in Asia? What were the troubles in Asia? If you read in Acts chapter 19, Paul had, he was a part of causing a riot in Ephesus. So that may be a reference to some of what was happening where Paul and his companions uh, were at the risk of losing their life. But we don't exactly, actually know all of the circumstances there. But we do know that whatever defeat, whatever problem, whatever issue that Paul had had, that it was a, it was a stumbling block for the, the church in Corinth. They saw it as weakness. They saw it as not really having the blessing of God. And Paul was saying, no, actually suffering is a hallmark of following Jesus, not the other way around. So Paul was very anti-prosperity gospel, the health and wealth gospel, right? You name it, you claim it, you got it. Like, I'm just going to claim my health, I'm going to claim my wealth, and I got it. You know, that's very interesting that that's where so much of Christianity kind of lands today when most of the people that we read about in Scripture and the early church fathers, they, they died poor and not alone, but under persecution, especially the one we call our own Lord and Savior, right? And so... <clears throat> The, the Corinthians, were, they were confused. But Paul just says, he goes into the depth of whatever was happening in Asia. And he says, we despaired even of life. We felt the sentence of death in our bodies, he says. I mean, this is, this is kind of suicidal-ish type language of, I would rather be dead than alive. I thought we were dead. And this is the apostle. (laughs) The one that just said we remain hopeful. The verse before in verse 7 and then in verse 8, 9, he's talking about this moment where he's so low, he 
would rather be dead than alive. And if you look in those verses, if you go to the next slide, God's doing stuff. He's given purpose to these sufferings. Number one, in verse eight, or verse nine, he stops self-reliance. So these sufferings, the troubles in Asia, what they actually ended up doing was they stopped Paul and his companions from relying on themselves, but instead they relied on God. And secondly, it demonstrated in verse 9 the resurrection power of God. And this flies in the face of the two lies that I think Satan gets us. He trips us up with these all the time. So again, whether you're 15 or whether you're 95 or you're anywhere in between, two lies that Satan tells us about our sufferings is, number one, you can handle this all by yourself. That's not, that's not biblical. You can't handle it. And number two, God can't change it. Those are the two lies from Satan that he comes in and he steals whatever comfort God is giving us by saying, you can handle this by yourself. And Paul says, we couldn't. We were relying on ourselves, and then the circumstances in our lives led us to a point where we could not do this, and we recognized it. And secondly, we saw resurrection power. We thought we were dead. We felt we were dead, and God did something. God brought life into the death that we were experiencing. He did deliver in verse 10. He is delivering, and he will continue to deliver. Amen? Because that's the kind of God we serve. The last thing in verse 11 is prayer matters. I love this because sometimes I really struggle. I have a very high view of God's sovereignty, and sometimes that makes it a little hard for me to feel like I need to pray because I feel like God's got this. I don't need to tell him. (laughs) I don't need to remind him. And I don't need to tell him, or he doesn't need me to tell him, but I need it. And so Paul says, because of your prayers, Corinthians, because of what you did in this moment, we were rescued. The favor of God rested on us because you prayed. I think that's a message I needed to hear and we need to hear. So what? So what do we do with all this? If the God of comfort is our Father, how do we become the people of God's comfort? And so I've got four things, and I want to kind of have a communal moment here with everybody. Number one, you've got to receive God's comfort. For us to become the people of God, and that God being the God of comfort, we've got to receive God's comfort. And that takes courage, and it takes vulnerability, and it takes acknowledging the brokenness that we actually bring into this room. But we're not alone, number one. And two, we have to make space to receive God's comfort. Some of us come in this morning, and we are in such desperate need of God's comfort, and and we need some of the things God has provided in this world. We need therapy. We need counseling. We need medications just to make it from day to day to day. And there's no shame, there's no stigma in the church for people who are seeking those, seeking those services and needing those services. But it's not just that. I don't think the church is called to just 
completely outsource our comfort. I think in this space, in this room, in this family, we're, we're called to make space to share our sufferings with each other so that we can experience comfort with each other. I sit in the, I call it the holy section of the church. Back right, if you're up here. Back left, if you turn this way. And on a regular, I know, I know those people. I've known those people a long time. And we got some new people. Hey, new people, I like you too. <laughs> but I can't believe they get up and make it to church every Sunday. Uh, every other Sunday. <laughs> I'm in awe of the obstacles, the people that I know, and it's not just my section, but because that's where I'm usually sitting. I'm in awe that week after week they show up, remain hopeful, and keep loving people. Because the world has done so many things to steal their joy, and they've gone through so many sufferings. But it's not just this section, right, guys? It's, it's this entire body right here. And so I'm going to ask you, um, we're going to have a moment of vulnerability that will lead into us taking communion together. And so I'm just going to read off a list of sufferings. I'm going to read off a list of circumstances that we need comfort in. And if you're willing... I'm just going to ask you to stand and just kind of remain standing. If, if standing right when I read a particular thing that's particularly personal or triggering or painful to you, uh, if, if you don't want to stand during that, you can wait a few more and stand. <laughs> it's, it's okay. This is a safe place. By the end of it, we're all going to be standing, and we're going to pray over the table, and we're going to pray for the cup and for the bread, and be reminded of the healing part of the Lord's Supper. And I, I'm not going to go through her life story, but if you, if you want to be blessed this morning, go talk to Carol, who read about the God of comfort. Um, I, don't, I don't know anybody who's experienced more tragedies in her life than that young lady you will be blessed and you'll be inspired. And she said, Jim, you can tell people all my stuff, nothing's off limits, <laughs> but I'm not. <laughs> but she will. So if you need someone to be real with, we're gonna make some space for God this morning. So <clears throat> again, please feel invited to stand when and if you want. Or not if and any, if you feel like you should. Uh, the suffering of depression. If you need comfort from suffering from depression personally or within your household. The suffering of suicide. If you've suffered because either there's been suicidal thoughts within yourself or you've lost somebody to that tragedy. Or substance addiction whether that's food, drugs, alcohol, some kind of vice that has had a grip on you. Maybe it doesn't now, maybe it does. Or abuse from another person. Maybe it's physical abuse. 
Maybe there's been sexual abuse or maybe it's been mental and emotional abuse. One of the great sufferings is loneliness, feeling like you're completely alone at times and nobody cares about you and you're not worth people's time. Will you stand if that describes a suffering of yours? If you've lost a child, maybe that child hasn't even been born yet, or maybe they have. Maybe you lost them tragically or you lost a spouse. That table has one less seat filled. We're in need of comfort. If you've walked through marital infidelity, whether you were the one being unfaithful or you were the one that was unfaithful to, or maybe it's parents that you suffered under because of their marital infidelity. Or maybe there's just sexual sin, whether it's going too far with a boyfriend or girlfriend or addiction to pornography or addictions. There's a lot of sexual sin that we suffer from and comfort is what we need. Or maybe it's greed. Maybe there's forms of greed in your life where you realize you just want stuff too much, so much, maybe even that you'll compromise what you know to be right. Or idolatry. Are there things in your life that you really seek out more than God to fulfill the role that only God can provide? Maybe it's politics, or maybe it's a person. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's that house. Maybe it's that lifestyle. Or maybe it's fear and anxiety. Maybe you just walk through day after day being scared of what could happen, of what might happen, or what you see happening. None of us is alone, amen? And we're making space in this moment to receive God's comfort. We're going to be real about it. Whether you're standing or sitting right now, we're going to empathize. So let's all just stand up together now. Because all of us are greatly impacted by whatever is going on with the people around us. And so we're in this together. And what Jesus does and what Jesus did is ultimately he reminds us to stay hopeful. And that's what the Lord's Supper is. The Lord's Supper is this reminder that by every measurable uh, standard a human could use, God lost at the cross. But that is where the victory of God actually was most powerfully claimed. And so we come together this morning and we take the cup and we take the bread and we proclaim that yes, God has power over death. He has power to bring life into whatever it is, into whatever suffering that I'm got at the table, whatever comfort that I'm dying to have fulfilled, God can provide that. Amen? And so this morning, as we are reminded of the God of comfort, some of you, you may want to pray with somebody, especially after this moment. Uh, Suzanne Marrero is going to receive folks over here. Kim Chapman is going to receive folks over here. I'll be up here on the left. Tommy Collier, one of our shepherds, will be here on the front, on the right. Uh, Brent Patterson will be in the back as a shepherd receiving people. If you have something you want to share with the whole church, come, talk, come tell Tommy about it. 
because he'll be leading our shepherd's prayer and he'll come and he can share that with the church. And this morning, if it's your first time here, uh, just a little bit of administration or logistics. We have six tables all around the worship center. Uh, Just go grab some cracker, the body of Christ, and a cup, the blood of Jesus. We have a gluten-free table back there if you need it. And there will be music playing in the background so you can come at your leisure. This is a holy moment. We're going to stay standing just for a few moments this morning um, until Kip comes back up here. And then we'll be seated unless Kip makes us stand some more, which is probably what will happen, but that's fine. So let's pray. God, this morning, I just want to say thank you for your comfort. I want to say thank you for your hope. I want to say thank you that in this moment, God, we've made space for you to show up and to show out. God, I believe you can bring healing to our deepest wounds. You can bring life to our deadest limbs. Thank you for this family, for the vulnerability and the courage that has been shown this morning already and will continue to be shown as we move from this room into into life. And Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for us. Thank you for uh, emerging from hell, reigning over death, and wearing victory over Satan. And thank you for letting us be a part of that victory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.